Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans, chapter 15. I don't know about you, but for me, this is always one of the strangest weeks of the year. That week in between Christmas and New Year's is always kind of strange because you're kind of in this in-between zone. That you, you know, some families, you know, as Jeff talked about, some of us are still listening to Christmas music. Many of you probably still have Christmas decorations up. Some of you may still have Christmas celebrations to attend and gifts to open. And for some people, December 26th, Christmas music goes off. Christmas tree comes down. Everything's packed away. And it's, let's get back to normal life, right? Like your house fills with stuff over Christmas. You got 412 cardboard boxes stacked up from Christmas presents you got to get rid of. The recycling is overflowing and it's not another week till they come back by your house. You're trying to figure all that out. And so you're trying to, you're kind of in this in between. You're, you're, you're still holding on to the hope of Christmas. Now, in other traditions, Christmas is a 12 day event, not 12 days before, but Christmas day starts a 12 day event. And so in some other traditions that they are still celebrating, will still celebrate for the next several days. And we are remembering what Jesus did, and yet we're still looking towards the new year. Even our culture kind of takes this week to put out all the best of list. You know what I'm talking about, right? The best movies of 2018, the best music of 2018, the best books of 2018, the most impactful stories of 2018, and then begin within the last day or two to start shifting towards what's going to happen in 2019. We have this kind of transition happening. So I wonder for you, what was 2018 like? How was 2018? I know we're speaking in the past tense about something that has... 36 hours left, right? But what do you, what is it like for you? What was 2018 like? What were the highs? What were the lows? If you had to, to narrow it down to the best thing that happened in 2018, what would that be for you? The best thing that happened, the top moment, the, the pinnacle of the year. Turn to somebody around you. Tell them. Tell them your friends, your family, whoever's around you. Tell them the best thing that happened in 2018. All right. Hopefully some of you husbands scored big points. Because you could have said getting to spend the year with you was the highlight. Is that, is that what it was? So maybe perhaps you had a baby born in the family. Maybe there's a new addition to the family. Maybe there was a marriage in the family. Maybe there was a milestone in the family. Hopefully your 2018 was better than some people I saw online. Some, some pictures I saw this week that, that helped to encapsulate what some people's 2018 was like. For instance, perhaps some of you literally got painted into a corner. I don't know if you can see that or not, but the only square not painted is the one he's own. Or perhaps you didn't have your plans washed away like this young lady who said this is a nice place to take a picture only to get blasted by water, right? It reminds me of a time in my life when I used to stand on the bridge overlooking the old mill screen. Anybody got an amen in the house of the Lord? And you would just wait to see if it blasted you. Opryland, that was a, let's take a moment and remember Opryland for a second, all right? So a nice place to take a picture. Or this one. Maybe your year was like this, that upon arriving to help get my keys out of my car, the AAA guy locked his keys in his car and had to call AAA. And so there's two 
trucks there. Or perhaps you had financial plans that got ruined like this couple says, I'll read it to you. So me and my wife have been saving up to pay for our Utah football tickets in cash. We pulled our money out yesterday to pay my mom for the season. We couldn't find the envelope until my wife checked the shredder. Yep. Two-year-old son shredded $1,060. And all of God's people said, oh, yeah, it's not... Oh no, right? So hopefully, your 2000, we'll get that picture off. Some of you will be disturbed by that all the time, right? Hopefully, your 2018 was better than that. What's 2019 hold for you? What's this year coming up hold for you? Is there a milestone birthday coming for you or someone in your family? We have, in my family, we have our first 16 year old child in 2019. I will warn you when the roads need to be vacated, all right? We also have another one that turns into a teenager this year. So we've got milestone birthdays. No birthdays I have are milestones anymore. They're just thank you Jesus moments for another one, right? So milestones, maybe birthdays, maybe an anniversary, maybe maybe there's um, a graduation coming, maybe there's a retirement on the horizon, maybe there's there's something big in your family, maybe you're starting a family, you're thinking of starting a family, or or maybe there's there's hope on the horizon. Maybe you've got a really cool trip plan. Anybody got a cool trip plan? Anybody going anywhere cool this year? Alex, where are you going? Brazil on Christmas. Next Christmas you're going to Brazil? This Christmas. All right. But <laughs> figure that out. All right. Tori, where are you going? Washington, D.C. That's awesome. All right. Anybody else got big trip planned? Anybody going um, out of the country? We got one. We got, yeah, well, Callie's going back to Spain for to live. But anybody else you got stuff going on, right? We got some back in the back. Canada. Is that what I heard? All right. Lucy, where are you going? NASCAR? Oh. I didn't know if you said Madagascar or NASCAR. I thought, you taking Alan to Madagascar? I'll get that on film. All right. Well, I, uh, I, was, I was reading this week uh, one of my favorite uh, preachers, this guy named Louis Giglio. And Louis Giglio was talking about a conversation he had at his mailbox last year around this time of year and he was out talking to a neighbor and the neighbor said to him, man, you got any cool trips planned? And if you know anything about Lou Giglio's ministry, he goes all over the world literally with passion conferences. We've got a group of uh, college students leaving in like three days to go to passion conference in Atlanta, Georgia that he'd been putting on for over 20 years and he takes that all over the world. And he said, but at the moment I couldn't think of anything I was doing. He's like, I was going to Orlando, but that's not really a, you know, fascinating trip. He said, and so I said, no, no, not really. And I said to my, he said, I said to my neighbor, what about you? And he said, usually when your neighbor asks you a question like that, they want you to ask them the question in return because they've got a trip planned. And so he said, oh man, we're touring Europe. And he went on this whole excursion that was happening and what was going on. And Louis said that I sat there for a minute and we had that fear of missing out moment. You know that like, man, I wish I was going on that trip. I wish I was going to Europe this year. I wish I was going that way this year. And he said that as he was walking away from the conversation, he realized that he was going on a pretty major trip this year. And it's a trip we're all taking this year. 
In fact, I don't know whether you know this or not, but while you are sitting there today, you are traveling at 67,000 miles per hour. Do you all know that? You're actually spinning at around 900 miles an hour and traveling at 67,000 miles an hour. And this year you will travel 584 million miles around the sun. You ever thought about that? So nothing in life is ordinary, right? You say, well, I got ordinary stuff this week. Anything you're doing ordinary, you're doing at 67,000 miles an hour. That's really cool. Like, you know, somebody said, I'm getting my nails done this week. You ought to tell the lady doing your nails, you were doing an excellent job traveling at 67,000 miles per hour, right? We have a year to travel around the sun. That's how we, that's how we categorize a year. 365 and a quarter days it takes us to travel. And as we go around the earth traveling in that way, the opportunity is there for amazing things to happen. One of the things I do love about this time of year is the hope and the possibility that is out there. 2019 has a massive opportunity, and I firmly believe that God has certain things planned for you on this trip around the sun that if you knew right now would blow you away. I believe that God has something in mind for you and your life and your family's life and what's going to happen with you professionally, what's going to happen with you um, academically, what's going to happen with you in your family life, in your work life, in your social life, that God wants to use this year to do radically engaging and impressive and God-honoring things through you. Romans, I mean Romans, Psalm, we're going to get to Romans in just a second. Psalm 90 verse 12 tells us to teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. What I want to do today in just a moment out of Romans chapter 15 is I want to look back for a moment at Christmas and why Jesus came and then jump ahead to how that impacts how we live in 2019. I want us to take the long view. we got a year. The year sometimes seems short and sometimes seems long. When you think back all that's happened in a year, sometimes you look back like, man, that seems like yesterday. And sometimes it feels like it's taken forever. And I don't want to talk to you today about a momentary resolution or, a, you know, one of those rash decision resolutions. Because what will happen during this time of year is that people will make resolutions. I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. And they go hard after it to begin with. And then it fizzles out. I'm talking about the long view. You see, resolutions lead to pictures like this. An empty gym in December And people fighting over each other to get to the equipment in January. What I'm hopeful for is that we can see on the long-term view what God intends for us to do. I want you to be able to navigate the new year in the way that God intends. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 7, says this. Therefore... Accept one another just as Christ also accepted you. Notice this. To the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth. To confirm the promises to the fathers 
and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in this chapter 15 of Romans, what is happening is Paul is coming to the conclusion of the book. And as he's coming to the conclusion of the book, he's going to give them some final instructions. And he wants to base that on what we've already talked about throughout the entire book of Romans. Book of Romans is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to reconcile us, to save us, to change our lives because of his perfect life, his sinless life and his death on the cross. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is really the purpose for Jesus coming, the reason that Jesus came. And as we come out of Christmas, it's always important to remind ourselves of the reasoning that Jesus came. We're going to kind of hang out in verse 8. And I want you to realize as we hang out in verse 8 that what is happening here is that he is showing us the reason that Jesus came and then giving us the way that we can navigate the new year in a way that leads to us being an impactful follower of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus came to validate God's integrity. Jesus came to validate God's integrity. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look what it says in verse 8. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth. Now, it's important here that what is happening is we first hear that Jesus came as a servant. Now, we talk about that at Christmas. We talk about the lowly manger. We talk about him in a stable. We talk about the fact that Philippians chapter 2 talks about that he gave up his rightful place in heaven in order to come as a servant for us. We know that Isaiah talks about the suffering servant that would come. Mark has this verse where Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve. He came to be a servant. In this particular passage, it gives us the reason he gave him a servant, and part of it was to show the integrity of who God is. It says literally, on behalf of God's truth, or literally the truthfulness of God is shown. So what does that mean? That Jesus came to prove that God is, in his character, in his attributes, who he says he is. That God in his character, in his attributes, is true at all times in every circumstance. He is absolutely who he is at all times, in all places, in all ways. Now that's hard for us to understand because we are not. Many of us in this room aspire to be certain traits that in 2018 and coming in 2019, we will not hold up our end of the bargain. I strive to be a loving father, loving husband, and yet I know that in 2018, and I know that coming in 2019, I will say things or act in ways or have an attitude about things that are not loving as they should be. 
I intend to be a man of character and integrity, and I strive for that with God's help. But I know that I am a sinful man who is going to fail in that, and nobody knows your failings better than you. And so as we look at what Jesus says is that he came to prove that God is who he says he is. Well, how did he do that? Well, the reason is because we know some things about God that we think sometimes, well, God is this, but other times he's this. And sometimes he's this and sometimes he's that. But in Jesus, we have a picture of God who is always who he is. For instance, we know that God is a God of justice and yet he is a God of mercy. We know that God is a God of love, and yet he is also in Scripture described as a God of wrath. And we think, well, he must be wrathful at some times and loving at others. But Scripture teaches us that God is always who he is, all of it, all the time. Perhaps the most impactful book in my life, other than Scripture, is a book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in that, he says this, and I just want to tell you from the front end, and this is a little bit of a mind-bending concept. A.W. Tozer writes in a way that very few people write, and so you may have to listen slow, and I'll talk fast, okay? All of God's acts are consistent with all of his attributes. No attribute contradicts another, but all harmonize and blend into each other in the infinite abyss of the Godhead. All that God does agrees with all that God is. God being who he is cannot cease to be what he is, and being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. Got that? He is who he is. Now here's where that comes in Jesus. In Jesus we have a picture of a man, a God-man, who came to earth and did not dismiss our sin. He did not look over our sin. In fact, earlier in the book of Romans, it says that part of the reason Jesus came is because God could no longer look over the sins of man. In other words, he stood in our place and took the wrath of God upon himself. Although in that act of God taking the wrath um, in his son, in Jesus, taking upon himself, he is also showing his mercy and love to us by putting it on Jesus and not on us. On Jesus, the only being in the universe who could withstand That wrath because of the perfection within him. Not only does it say in here that he came on behalf of God's truth. It then tells us that he came to confirm the promises to the fathers. The point is that Jesus came to prove God's integrity. That he is who he says he is. And he will do what he says he will do. When it talks about the fathers, it's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised to Abraham that he would make him a great nation, a powerful nation, that all nations would be blessed through him. When Isaac comes along, he says, I'm going to confirm in you the promises I made to Abraham. When Jacob comes along, he says, I'm going to confirm in you, reiterate to you the promises I made to Abraham. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. He came, he came to validate God's integrity. The second reason that Romans 15 tells us that he came is that he came also to demonstrate God's mercy. Now this is verse 9. And it says, and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his Mercy. 
Now, what's mercy? What's the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is getting from God or from someone something that you don't deserve. Getting something good from God that you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving the punishment you should receive. And he says that Jesus came to validate the integrity of God, to show that the promises of God are true, and then to extend the mercy of God, that God is not going to punish us, even though we deserve it, to those even outside of the Israelite community, to all peoples everywhere. The point here, and the best news about the mercy of God, is that it's not just for a select group of people. Remember last week we talked about, it is good news of great joy for all people, not some, not a portion, not a part. Now, here's where I want to kind of caution us is that it's real easy once we become followers of Jesus Christ to suddenly identify ourselves as those that are in God's family, which we are. But then it's also easy to encapsulate us in a bubble, look at all those outside of our family and think those are the less chosen than us. Or invalidate people because they're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet scripture makes it very clear that all people created by God are under this desire for God to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point of this is God did not give us what we deserve. Praise be to God. I live with uh, four kids. I live with... uh, um, they're, they're not here today. They're, they're at grandparents, so I can talk about them. I live with four kids. I live with one that thinks he's not a kid still, but he is, right? He's mine. I've got, I live with two that think they're moving their way out of a kid in the middle. But I live with four kids. And one of the statements that I hear around my house on a regular basis in the midst of, let's, let's hypothetically say, a week and a half when we've been in the house, all six of us together, for a great majority of that time. Hypothetically. The phrase I hear often is, it's not fair. Or, I didn't get my turn. Or, why do they get that? The other night, we had a particularly interesting discussion over dinner and the lack of desire from a couple of people within my family to eat the vegetables on their plate. After dinner was finishing, the 15-year-old, who, if anybody would like to donate to the Feed Eli Fund, I'd be glad to, we're going to set that up on GoFundMe soon, all right? who ate the full meal plus another portion of someone else's meal and something else, then said, can I get some ice cream? And he had eaten everything we had told him. He had done what he is chores like he was supposed to. And so he said, yes. The two people that were not as excited about the vegetables on their place, who shall remain nameless, but are the females in my family, (laughs) girls. One of them said, Can I get ice cream? And I said, no. Why not? Because you haven't eaten your vegetables. Well, that's not fair. Now, I could have stopped her and had a discussion about the reality. That is exactly what fair is. You do what you're supposed to do. I will give you what I said I would give you, right? That's the definition. But they're so concerned about everything being fair. 
Any parents here, you know, you can cover the ears of your kids if you would like to at this moment. Make sure your kids have the exact same number of gifts and spend almost exactly the same amount of money on your kids when you give them presents at Christmas. Right. Why? Because you want it to be fair. You don't want anybody going, well, I've only got four presents. Yes, but your four presents cost four thousand dollars and they're three. We don't spend that much on Christmas. I'm joking. All right. Do you get my point, right? We want to be fair. Here's the thing. God's not a fair God. He's not concerned about fairness. If he were, you and I would be destined for hell for all eternity. He is concerned about justice. And I am thankful that we have a God that gives mercy instead of what I deserve. Jesus came to demonstrate the mercy of God. Third thing in this passage. Right out of the first part of this, Romans fifteen seven, Jesus came to unify God's people. Now, he's writing to Romans. You have to understand that this book was written to Christians that were in Rome. There would have been a high number of Gentiles in this group. There would have been a high number of Jewish converts in this group. There would have been people from all over the world. Rome was the most metropolitan, diverse city of that day. It was the center of the world. It was the New York City, the Washington, D.C., the Los Angeles, California, the London, England of the world of that day. There would have been people from all over. And the people that would have come to follow Jesus would have come from all over and he says to them accept one another despite your differences despite where you come from despite how much money you have despite your backgrounds despite your religious preferences before you came to Christ accept one another you have to understand that in these people's shoes these isolated Jewish people especially the Israelites that had been culturally religiously morally ethically they had been separated from everyone else for their entire existence as Israelites. They were part of a group of people. In fact, when the Roman Empire took over Jerusalem, they were one of the few religious organizations in the whole empire that kept their ability to be able to worship as they pleased. Because it was unique. And for them. Now, Paul and others are writing to them. The book of Acts, we see that moment when they come and say, but don't they have to become one of us first? In Acts 15, they come and they say, listen, we just need to settle this dispute. We have Paul out there telling people they can be a Christian without being Jewish. That's not right, is it? They have a debate, a debate that would change the history of the course of the church forever. And they come out of that and they said, no, Jesus saves Through grace alone. Accept one another. Jesus came to be able to say that all along the purpose has been to bring Gentiles, to bring those that weren't part of the Israelite community. The whole purpose of selecting a nation for himself from God was that one day that nation would bless all nations and they would come to understand who he was. And so Paul says to them that Jesus came to do that. And he tells them that by the fact that he came to show the mercy of God to the Gentiles. He reinforces that by telling them to accept one another. That's the last thing we see about what Jesus came to do in this passage. Jesus came to fulfill God's purpose. Now we see this in all these quotes. 
Once you get to the end of verse 9, there are four Old Testament quotes in a row. And there is a progression that happens in the quotes, in the order they're in, to show us the purpose and the plan of God through Jesus Christ. It starts with the one that says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise for your name. That is from Psalm 1849. It's a victory psalm of David. After David has won a battle and he says, I will stand where the Gentiles can hear me and I will proclaim that you are my God and you are the God, the God of gods, Yahweh. You are the one. I will stand among them and not be ashamed to declare your glory. The second quote is from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. It's a song of Moses, and he's saying, Moses is saying, come alongside of us. Join beside us. You can be part of us. You can give glory to our God. Come and witness the glory of the God. And so you have David standing among the Gentiles. You have Moses saying, we're going to stand beside the Gentiles and give you glory. And then you get to Psalm 117.1, and it says... Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And so now you move from the Gentiles being around while God is praised to standing beside the Israelites while they are praising to the Gentiles themselves giving praise to God. And he's saying that was the plan of God all along, that they would see the wonders of God. They would hear the wonders of God. They would give testimony to the wonders of God. And then they would be in God's family giving praise to him as anybody else. And then the last quote comes from Isaiah 11:10, And it says, the root of Jesse will appear The one who will rise to rule the Gentiles and the Gentiles will hope in him. And the last quote means that it is Jesus that brings it all together and allows us to be able to give praise and honor and glory to the one true God. The whole purpose Jesus came was to take that moment from when the Gentiles were being told about God's presence to the point where they were standing beside people giving glory to God to bring them into a place where they could, as a part of the family of God, give praise and honor to the one and only God. And only Jesus could accomplish that. From the very beginning, God had been planning that Jesus would come, that he would live a perfect life, that he would die for our sins. He would rise again and bring people from every tribe and every nation to follow him. That's Christmas. That's why Jesus came. To validate the integrity of God. To declare the mercy of God. To unify God's people and to fulfill the purpose of God from the very beginning. So then the question is, so what do we take from that into the new year? How do we move into the new year navigating what's ahead? Well, we're just going to take a point from each of those four points and apply it to our lives. And so the first thing that we need to do in 2019 to make this year a year that gives glory to God is trust the character of God. On this trip around the sun, God will be who he has always been. When Moses asked for the personal name of God, the name that he gave was Yahweh. And it means, I am who I've always been. I will continue to be who I've always been. I am that I am. I am. And the same God that gave that to Moses is the same God that we can trust here and now today. He has always been loving. He has always been merciful. He has always been right. He has always been just. He has always been true. And he will be in 2019, no matter what the circumstances of your life may turn out to be. 
Even when circumstances are not going your way, and I can tell you this, in 2019, you are going to hit some roadblocks and some stumbling blocks and some difficulties, some things that will frustrate you and anger you and and get you off track emotionally, spiritually, physically. In the midst of all of that, God is still who he has always been. He has not changed and he will not. He's the same God that tells us that even in those difficult moments, even in the moments we don't understand, that he is a God who is working together, weaving together, knitting together all things that happen in our lives for the glory of his name and for the good of those who love him. We can trust in the character of God. Can I tell you something I think is going to happen in 2019? I don't know. I'm not a soothsayer or a prophet in that way, but I can tell you this. Things are going to get crazy in the world in 2019. It's already there. It just seems that that kind of stuff used to happen about once every two months. Now it happens about once every two minutes. Something you go, whoo, what what in the world is, how did we get here? There are going to be things that change in your life and in our world at warp speed that we cannot understand. And yet... We have a God who remains the same. The second thing that you can do to make 2019 a profitable year is depend on the mercy of God. There's not one thing that's going to happen in the year ahead that God doesn't already know about. He's already seen the script. He knows what's going to happen. There's not one thing that you will do or will happen to you that he doesn't already know is coming, including the times that you fail. And those of us in this room will fail. All of us. A lot. And sometimes in massive ways. And when I use the word fail, I'm not trying to use an euphemism. Let's just call it for what it is. All of us in this room will sin a lot, sometimes in big ways. We will say things that we never should have said. We will think things we never should have thought. We will do things we never should have done. Sometimes people will know about it. Sometimes people will find out. And sometimes it is only between you and God that you know what you've done. But you are going to mess up royally. You are going to sin in a big way in 2019. Aren't you glad we're not stopping there, right? Happy 2019. Let's go. But God knew about everyone. God knew it was going to happen when he sent his son to die on the cross. So there is nothing you can do this year that you think, well, if God would have known I was going to do that. I don't know that he would have sent Jesus. He knew. And sometimes we don't equip ourselves, especially in the church, because we feel like we have to live this life That others look at us and think, man, they have got it all together. They're Christian. They are living what they preach. That we think that we can't let people know about our weakness. But here's the truth. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And in 2019, we are going to desperately need the mercy of God. And the great thing about that is it's already promised and God keeps his promises. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can depend on the grace and the mercy of God to carry you through 
the year. In February, in March, in August, in November, January 1st, whenever it is that you mess up in a big way. It doesn't mean you go out and say, I want to mess up so I can enjoy God's grace. Paul says, let that never happen. But it means that when it happens and you do mess up, God's there. And his mercy is new every morning. Third thing that helped you get through 2019, lean on and support God's people. We need each other. You are going to need people in this room. If you're a guest with us today and you don't have a church home, man, I hope you find a great church home in 2019. We'd love for you to think about it being here, but if it's not, find a great church home. And let me tell you something. Part of the reason schedule change comes next week, part of the reason that we are changing schedule next week, that we feel led by God to do that, is because we feel like our Sunday school small group ministry needs to be strengthened where the people of God can lean in and support each other through the most difficult phases of life and we believe that the schedule change will help that happen because just coming into a a worship service of 200 300 people and sitting here one sunday morning and then walking out is not going to be enough to keep you going through the year you need the people of god lean on god's people let me also say this support god's people Give your time, your effort, your talent, your blessings, your money to support what God is doing in your local church. For most of us in this room, that's here. Speak good words about it. Encourage people in the midst of it. Don't spend time trying to tear it down. Spend time building it up and encouraging. And the last thing that we do is that we focus our lives. Center your life on living out God's purpose. Now, I don't mean individually God's purpose for your life, although that's important to discover. I'm talking about big picture. If you want to have an impactful 2019, do what Jesus did. Come to glorify God by how? By serving people in order to take the gospel to the ends of the earth where people who have never heard and people who are next door to you that need to hear and people that sit next to you in school or work with you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to make resolutions this year, but I am asking you to pray about, to think about, and to put into practice, begin to work towards sharing your faith with people around you in the coming year. Tell them about Jesus and what he's done for them. See, the purpose that we have here at First Baptist is to do exactly what this verse talks about, to glorify God. How? By leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What is your role in the midst of that? Maybe that's serving here at church and somewhere where you can literally take the gospel to people. A place like Room at the Inn or or guest services where you're welcoming people in and being the face that people see when they come into this place. Maybe that's serving in your Sunday school to take the gospel to places around here, in the area right around here. Maybe that's going on one of our mission trips to, to Lynch, Kentucky or to Denver, Stapleton, Colorado or to Portis 
Segura, Brazil. Maybe that an active part of that is you going as part of this. In fact, I would say that you would pray about, if you have a mission trip coming up from our church or you know of one out there that's different than, than maybe somebody's talked to you about, my idea for you is to pray about God removing that desire from your life before you plan anything else in the year. What happens a lot of times is we say, well, I'll fit that in if I can fit it in. What if our lives were centered around doing the work of God first and foremost? That you planned your week about being a part of God's people on Sunday mornings here. That you planned your year around what trips am I taking? What mission endeavors am I doing? Maybe that's planning a trip for your family down to the rescue mission to help out there in a very specific way. If you're wanting to know places you can help out, and I'd love to give you some ideas for you, for your family. Jeff would love to talk to you about some places that we can put you or some organizations you can pair with. What if you built your calendar around living on God's purpose and then you filled everything else in? God has big plans for you. I have no doubt about that for 2019. Sometimes what happens is we make a lot of plans that don't give God very much room to do the things that he wants to do because we think we've got things that got to get done. Depend on the mercy of God. Trust in the character of God no matter what comes your way. Support, lean on God's people, and center your life on God's purpose. That's how 2019 becomes a year where you impact the nations for the sake of the cause of Christ. Let's pray together.